So what is cue learning? Well, just as when we were talking about neural nets, it may have been a bit of a surprise to learn that we start off with weights that are allocated just as random numbers, and then we gradually refine them using our training data until we end up with a, a neural net that can do something useful. So cue learning starts on the same sort of footing. We, let's suppose, have a, a grid of squares, a bit like a chessboard. And some of those squares are uh, walls, let us say, which we can't enter. And somewhere on the board there is a winning square, which we are going to try and find, but we don't know where it is. There may also be some obstacles, some pits that we fall into and then we lose. Who knows? That's just to do with the design. So in each square, at each square, we can go in four directions, north, south, east and west, or if you like, left, right, up and down. And the question is, how do we find a path, and ideally, how do we find the path, the shortest, most efficient, successful path from our starting point, which for the sake of argument we'll assume is a single fixed unchanging spot and wherever the winning square is. We need to negotiate the walls that prevent us from going onto some squares. We need to avoid falling into the various pits and traps that might be set elsewhere. What do we do? Well, the short answer is that we do it by a kind of trial and improvement. We start with a set of numbers, and let's suppose there are, since the chessboard is a suitable size, 64 squares. Then we might well start off with 64 rows in our queue table, as it's called. This is a queue as in the letter, not as in a billiard queue. In our capital Q hyphen table. And we have a north, south, east and west, or up, down, left and right, on four of the columns of each of those rows. And then I suppose we might also have a column that says success, we find the target, and one that says fail, we don't find the target, something like that. And then we assign random numbers. We may indeed decide to start off with everything zero, but that's a detail. We assign random numbers and then we look at a particular starting square and we look at the, four, the first four numbers. And the convention is that they're all negative to start with. And we choose the least negative of them as the best option. So let's suppose that they've been randomised to minus 4, minus 3, minus 2 and minus 1. We would choose minus 1 and that would say, let's go, I can't remember what I said now, but it doesn't really matter, east, let's go right. So we go right and that takes us to another square. And at that square, all the numbers in the grid are zero. But we might, this is a, again a technical detail, 
we might want to put in some information about where we just came from so that we, uh, for example, don't lose the intelligence that the square we came from is accessible from here. We are assuming for the sake of this argument that you can go backwards and forwards between squares, although of course that's not necessary either. You could have some one-way streets or something. But we, we record the fact that we where we've come from, and then we have our four numbers. And we're going to say, well, we're not going to go back where we just came from. We're going to choose one of the others. And so we might go north. And we do that, and we do that, and we do it again and again and again. And we gradually fill in, or we take the numbers that are in the rows of the squares that we visit. And we alter them a little depending on the journey that we've taken. And so those numbers will be updated, a little bit like backpropagation in a neural net. And eventually, one of two things will happen. Either we will reach the square where we win, or we will reach the square where we lose. In the meantime, we may bump into walls, but we record that as a, as a very negative score, saying don't go that way again because you can't go anywhere that way. And if there are different kinds of obstacles that can trap us, like man traps or pits or bears or, I don't know, like those things in Tarzan where you get caught in nets and lifted up into the trees, it doesn't matter what it is, we mark we mark those because those constitute failure in some sense. And so we get some numbers and we've had one one go and we start again. And remember the original number has been updated slightly so we may no longer go right or east because that's now been changed. So now we might go north and then west. And we do that again, and then we update everything. Now, the, the obvious question that you're going to be asking, because I've skipped over it, is, all right, you start with random numbers, you go off in a random direction, you win or you lose. On what basis do you update the numbers that you started with? And that's where the Q-learning algorithm comes in because what the Q-learning algorithm does is to say, this is called Bellman's equation, B-E-L-L-M-A-N, Bellman's equation. Let's look at what happens next. And what happens next is that there is a square that we move to in response to the decision to go east. And that will in its turn have other squares that it can go to. And so we will end up with a, a chain of moves, each one of which will take us presumably further away from where we started, and each one of which, the longer the chain gets, we may choose to what's called discount, a little bit like an actuary discounting future money. And that, when we add up all that discounted value will in its turn produce a number that we will put into our original grid as a measure of the Q coefficient for that 
particular strategy at that particular moment. Because remember, although we have these four numbers for north, south, east and west in our starting square, one of them will change after the first go, but that may well make it less likely to be chosen in the next go because it, after all, didn't succeed, or perhaps it did. So we will change the relative sizes of these numbers and thereby adopt different strategies each time. And if you watch a graphic of this, you will see that the, the, the man or the, the agent that's doing the searching moves around, exploring the space in the hope of finding a point where it wins. Now let's go back to our AI because the mapping of that method onto its behaviour is quite illuminating. It may well come up with a completion, let's say, that is in our sense just a, 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 a sentence a, or a half sentence, a phrase, and it may have some criteria on the basis of which to evaluate it, or it may indeed ask its user, how did you feel about that? And you may say, good, bad, or indifferent. So it will say, well, that wasn't very successful. Let's now use the same approach, because remember, choosing my method, my method A, the default method, let's say, was like choosing to go west or east from the starting point in my algorithm and so I did that and I ended up with a, with a, a completion that was only moderately successful so let's somehow or other I'm not going to presume to jump into the detail but let's somehow or other evaluate that strategy as a number and now let's try another strategy again and again and again but this time remember what the AI is doing is changing its method what in Q learning is called its policy rather than just picking different outcomes from the same method and to put it in a rather fatuously simplistic way it might be the difference between saying all right uh, I'm going to shake a die and pick a number or pick a word as the word that comes next in my completion based upon whatever comes up on the die. And then you say, no, that wasn't a very successful outcome. Let me instead choose phrases using my die or let me go into a dictionary or, you know, there are all sorts of strategies that I could deploy and employ to decide what to do. You can hear crunching it's because I'm walking over a recently ploughed potato field. And I've talked about this once before. But today I'm walking in freezing fog or freezing low cloud or whatever it is. Can't see more than a couple of hundred yards in any direction. And the field is frozen. So although it's still muddy, the mud is not very glutinous because it's you can probably hear it frozen under my feet. 
it makes it easier to walk on too. So I have a different queue strategy today. Anyway, I hope you can see that what the AI is now doing is a kind of implementation. Oh, that wasn't frozen. That wasn't very clever, was it? Uh, stepped in the puddle right up to my middle and never went there again. Ooh, potatoes. Well, lots of these, apparently these potatoes are used to make chips, crisps, and so they are not of particularly good quality. Some people were just telling me that they'd taken some home and uh, they weren't very tasty. Never mind. I don't think I'm going to do that anyway. But let's just return to our algorithm. You see, what the computer is now doing is it's saying, I don't just... There are two levels, in other words, I suppose, at which it's saying I can, I can adapt my response. I can adapt my response by, for example, changing my temperature so that I take more or less probable responses and use them. Or I can change my method, which will give me a whole different set of responses and choose from those. And I can keep changing my method as long as I like. And if you think in a particularly good example of this, if you're doing cryptography, when you're doing cryptography, you, you get garbage if you don't successfully crack the code, if you don't successfully decrypt the message. So if the AI is trying to decrypt AES192, it's got a pretty clear idea of when it succeeds and when it doesn't. And when it doesn't, and it's had a few goes, it may well say, well, the problem there is that my method is wrong. So let me adapt my method and, in a sense, reprogram myself. Let me choose between A, B and C, or let me choose D or E or F as progressively different strategies by means of which to try to decipher this code. And given the millions and even billions of different possibilities that the AI can adopt and consider, you can see how even the most tenacious code might, under some circumstances, crack. Might. Nobody yet knows whether these rumours are well-founded. But if they are, we're all in some difficulty because we don't any longer have encryption systems that are reliable. And that could prove very problematic for everyone. Financially, militarily, in terms of security of data, you name it. So I don't know what really spooked the OpenAI board if they thought, as has been suggested, that it would, be, would have been better for OpenAI to cease to exist than for it to have continued in its current, as they thought, headlong, reckless course. Well, it didn't work. 
But the other part of that, of course, is that short of killing the people who were responsible for it, closing the company down wouldn't silence the ideas. And indeed, there is a sense in which these, this whole process has an inexorability about it. Because you can't put this genie back in the bottle. If I, as somebody who knows next to nothing about it, can grasp as much of it as I have, then much cleverer people than me will grasp much more than me. And even if you do close their companies down, they will still find ways, probably under the guidance of governments or military institutions or security institutions or foreign powers or terrorists, somebody, somewhere, will give them the resources that they need. And yes, those resources are, let's not forget, very, very considerable in terms of computer power, in terms of energy, in terms of human resources. But the more we starve these initiatives of resources, the more likely it is, not the less likely, the more likely it is that people will cut corners. If you've got a lot of people and lots of funding to produce an AI that is ethical, that does do its best to avoid telling people how to make bombs and break into banks and steal passwords and steal data and decrypt encrypted messages. If you've got people who are dedicated to preventing the AI from being used that way, then there is at least a chance that the AI will not be able to be used that way. But if you've just got somebody in his garden shed doing it, he won't have those resources and he might just be interested in getting something that works and not terribly interested in what it does or how it's used or what purposes it is set to serve. So I probably haven't explained Q-learning very well, it's awfully difficult without visuals. But essentially it's a kind of trial and error, trial and improvement, where you store the summed consequences of... Let me put it this way. I suppose you consider an investment and you do the present value of your investment over various scenarios for the next 20 years. It'll give you a number. And it'll either be a number that pleases you or doesn't please you. And you might do another investment or the same investment on a different basis and get another number. And that's really what Q-learning is doing. It's saying, if you do this, the chances at the moment are that the outcome will be roughly this. And the different outcomes that you've got available to you in the four scenarios we discussed will produce on the same basis of the same evaluative strategy these four numbers. So it's pretty clear which of them is the best. It may not be clear, it may be very close together, but let's suppose it's clear which is the best. So you move. But unlike the investment where you put the money in the bank and wait, in the case of Q-learning, you have another go next time. So you move, and then you have another move. So you do the same thing again. And it may tell you to go back where you just came, because you've reached a dead end, or hit a wall or something. 
But the point is that you do your calculations at every after every move and reevaluate the position that you're in and consider where you're going to go next on the basis of it. And that's proved to be very powerful. You can implement it on a very lowly local laptop in a simple way. And so if the computer that's running the AI says, well, which of these AI methods seems likely to produce the most favourable outcome as judged by whatever my criteria are, and as we saw in the last episode at the beginning, we each have different criteria, different things matter to us, we each count success differently, and that's the way it's always been. It's not like chess, where there's only one resolved answer to the question who wins and loses. Life has more complexity and variety than that, diversity than that. But even when you know that, we can each say, well, I have my measure of success and I'm going to adopt a strategy that produces it, that answers it, that gives rise to whatever it is that I am interested in, whatever matters to me, or perhaps whatever I think should matter to us, or what I think matters for the good of the world, or all sorts of variations on those different answers to different questions. So a mixture of cue learning and learning how to choose what to want and what therefore is to constitute a win, this is what's going on. And this, at least some are suggesting, is what has spooked OpenAI or did. We'll soon see, or will we? I don't know. Thank you for listening.